Welcome back to Biblical Book Review. I'm Kevin. I'm Alec. And I'm George. We are so happy you are joining us for today's study. Last week we wrapped up chapter 25, a three-parter. Today we get into chapter 26. We're actually going to do the whole chapter. What does it have to offer, George? Well, in this particular chapter, A.B. Bruce goes into the uh, high priestly prayer or what he describes as the intercessory prayer. Jesus, after speaking with his disciples, soon-to-be apostles, he says, I need to talk to the Father. And so he goes to the Father in prayer, speaking about himself, speaking about his his closest disciples, these 11 men that are going to be turning the world upside down, and then uh, finally about us uh, in his prayer. So it's interesting. This whole prayer uh, is found there in John chapter 17. Do we have any idea where this uh, prayer took place, George? Because we know that obviously the timeline sent out Judas, Last Supper, and then they're about to be on their way to the garden where Jesus is betrayed. That's next in John. Do we know where they are for this prayer? Well, we just have to make some inferences, and I believe they're still there in that upper room uh, where the Last Supper has occurred and where uh, his, you know, his uh, warning that he's going to leave and they're grieving, and then he says, okay, stand. Let's stand and sing. He says, okay, and then he goes into some other things there in chapter 16 of John, and then I believe he's still there in the upper room, and then they leave uh, after he'd spoken these things, they drop down in the ravine, they go up into the garden, and the rest of the evening uh, is spent also in prayer, and then Judas arrives, and so I believe that's happening right there in the upper room. Yeah, and A.B. Bruce kind of points it out, but I've never really uh, thought about it. Uh, it was probably uh, more like what we would call like a public prayer, uh, where it's not just for Jesus and his benefit to communicating with the Father, but also for the the disciples benefit as well to hear what Jesus has to say, not only about himself, but about them and about uh, the church. And so uh, I believe uh, they're there in that room still, and Jesus is kind of doing a public prayer uh, to where everyone is hearing what he's having to say. And it kind of gives us a little uh, insight in how this is uh, recorded for us then (laughs) uh, in such a good detail where uh, John is actually witnessing this and hearing this prayer uh, and then is able to recall it later uh, to write it down for us uh, in his gospel. And obviously it made a really big impact to him. And it makes a great impact to us uh, 21 centuries later. Uh, this is a fascinating a fascinating prayer that Jesus offers. And I think, I believe Alex correct, where it's... Uh, for the benefit of those in the room with him. He, they need to see this, they need to hear this, and then it, it, it never leaves their mind. They always remember it. Yeah, and it's, it's, been a, it's been a prayer that's, like we're talking about, it's been an impact to us as well. Uh, you know, there's parts in this prayer where I've underlined in my Bible or highlighted in my Bible where Jesus is talking about those individuals that uh, believe based off of the disciples' words, and uh, that's me. Uh, I I'm in this prayer, and so I, it's it's got a personal connection not only to Jesus and to the disciples there in the room, but to to us as well. It's a very powerful prayer. And then if you're reading it in your 
uh, Bible, uh, I know the New American Standard does this, but uh, they leave the the thous and the these, and the, they make it a very uh, eloquently uh, written uh, prayer, and they leave uh, it, it in kind of an old Englishy <laughs> style there, and it's it's a very powerful read to just read uh, John chapter seventeen. Yeah, this is the the first time that I've ever actually studied this passage. I know I've read it before, but as far as actually breaking it down and it really is one of those ones that kind of doesn't fully, I don't fully think I grasp it yet. I think it's, I'm starting to get, you know, more of a handle on it, but it's, there's a lot there. And so he begins this petition. He knows he's on a timeline. He's known it his entire life, his existence here as man on earth. Uh, He mentions it several times through the gospel accounts. My hour has not yet come. My hour has not yet come. But here he says, Father, the hour has come. Here is the timeline. I know that my ministry here on earth as man has come to a completion. And he says, first of all, glorify thy son. Why? That the son can glorify you. And so here is his first petition glorify me and in so doing you will be glorified yeah and i find it very interesting that this is not the the solemn let this cup pass from me type of attitude that he's going to have a little bit later uh, in the garden Uh, this is the time has come and it's a glorified state this is what all of this has been pointing to and jesus recognizes this and says, the time is now. My time has come. The hour is near or is is here. Uh, And so this glorification uh, that Jesus is going to be participating in, uh, he's going to be lifted up on a cross. He's going to be buried, but then he's going to be resurrected. There's going to be a glorified uh, state that Jesus is going to be uh, forever in. uh, And in this state, it glorifies the Father. And Jesus sees this Uh, hour here uh, and the timeline of God uh, playing out in real time in Jesus' life here on earth. And what stood out to me about that part of the prayer is that he says that his work is done, basically. He's done the work, and we know that he still is going to be going through a lot of suffering. Sometimes in my life, I find that I, I look at the suffering and things I go through as sometimes the work, and it's not the work. That's not what I'm to be about that's what I have to endure as Jesus endured the suffering. But it's the, that sometimes gets twisted in our minds that, well, if I put up with these things and I endure the suffering, that's doing kingdom work. Well, that's not really work. Jesus shows that here. Here he did all the work. Now he's going to endure the suffering, but that there's separate things. He knows he has to pass through the suffering to attain the glory. And so he must... Uh, present himself worthily, you know, toward the Father, and he understands this. He says, all right, now the time is here. It's time for me to come home. And what a fascinating glimpse into the, the connection between the Father and the Son, between these two entities in the what we call the Trinity or the Godhead. He says, I've done what work was required of me here on earth, and now I'll return to glory. And instead of, 
and I think Alec mentioned this, instead of, you know, thinking about the sorrow and poor pitiful me and all that, he's, he's already past that in his mind's eye here. And he says, I want to seek my glorification and the higher end is the glorification of the Father. And I often use this phrase to help us understand the Trinity, the Godhead, as God has this plan before the foundation of the world. He has this plan in his mind. Jesus volunteers to work the plan. And of course, the Holy Spirit then documents the plan. And the plan has now reached its fulfillment. Jesus says, the hour has come. Here it is. And the end of all of this is for the glory of God. And the fact that he already knows what he's going to do too. I think that's another point we can take to our lives. We can know that we have suffering coming our way or hard times or whatever, but we need to already have our mind made up on what we're going to do. And that's Jesus shows us example here. He knew what he was going to do and that he was not going to fail. He was going to succeed. He was going to endure the suffering because he knew what was coming. Well, guess what? We have the scripture in front of us. We know what's coming our way. We need to make up our minds now to be prepared for those times when it gets hard. And so as the prayer continues, he speaks about what the plan is going to provide for all of mankind. And the plan has always been to save us. (laughs) And I've written somewhere in one of my Bibles, God created me to save me. (laughs) That's why I'm here. God says, I've created you on purpose to save you. And Jesus giving or having been delegated this authority over all of all of us, all mankind, now he says, the Father is going to, through me, he's going to allow mankind to access eternal life. And then he describes it or defines eternal life. <laughs> I love verse 3. This is eternal life in John 17, that you may know you, the Father, the only true God, and... Me, Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. And so this is not only uh, his prayer for himself and the glorification of the Father, but he says, I want to include all of mankind because I am their Savior, not just of the Israelite people, not just for the, the Jews, but for all of us. And this power as, as Savior is the very essence of eternal life. Yeah, and this gives us, you know, the gospel message here. Uh, and this is something that the the apostles will write about uh, later in, in later books and different things, but this idea of anything that is true of Jesus becomes true of those that are in Christ. Uh, and so we want eternal life, we want glorified state, well, Jesus gives us that description here. Eternal life is knowing the Father, knowing God. And through Jesus Christ, we get to know God, therefore receiving that eternal life. Uh, and so we get this this message from Jesus' prayer, uh, and the disciples are sitting here listening to this prayer, I, I believe, and they're they're hearing this, okay, Jesus has is, is just talked about his death. He's going to die. All these things are going to happen. But then he's going to, he has this prayer where he's talking about glorification and eternal life. 
how does that happen? Well, it comes by knowledge of who the Father is. And how do I know who God is? Well, Jesus Christ. There's the avenue. Uh, and it's it's this perfect gospel <laughs> declaration that Jesus is is giving to his disciples right there in a in the form of a prayer. It's almost like he has like a PowerPoint up for him because <laughs> he's like, I am one with God. <laughs> you are one with me. We are all together. <laughs> yeah. It's like you can just see him like pointing at different things as he's going through it and they're like, oh, <laughs> And I believe Kevin mentioned this uh, earlier, but the idea of he's finished, he's accomplished the work which was given to him. And it should automatically remind us of one of the phrases that he has uh, there on the cross. It is finished. He understands the work. He understood exactly what needed to happen. He understood that God had given him this plan, and he had completed, or verse 4 says, accomplished the work. And in so doing, he gave glory to the Father. And so all of this points to the glorification not only of Jesus, but of the Father. And then the combination of that glory, it's been offered to mankind through what we have termed or what the scripture terms eternal life. So then Jesus goes on to pray not only just for himself and the glorification of God, but he says, now I want to talk to the Father about these 11 men because these 11 men are vital to the success of the mission, the work that Jesus has accomplished here on earth, the mission continues through these 11 men. Good leaders will delegate authority to their followers. Jesus has done what was required of him, and now he says, Father, I need to talk to you about these 11 men. And talk about good men. I love how A.B. Bruce delineates and describes these men. There on page 455, he says, you gave them to me, they've always been yours. They were pious, devout men, God-taught, God-drawn, and God-given. And not only that, their character has displayed that they've kept your word and they've been true believers in Jesus. Now, if if you can say anything about a person at their funeral, <laughs> you know, if you talk about someone that dies and, and goes on to, to meet the Lord, imagine if you were able to say those things about them. Jesus is talking about men that are impressive, pious, devout, God-taught, God-drawn, God-given, keeping the words of Christ in true true believers. And so, obviously, Jesus is concerned and expresses that concern to God the Father. And there's a theme that kind of runs throughout this entire prayer, uh, and it's seen here, and it's the words of God. Uh, there is a, uh, a theme all throughout uh, that Jesus, I, I believe, 
wants his hearers <laughs> to understand the importance of listening uh, to God's words. Uh, and how do we hear God's words? <laughs> well, through through Christ here in this in this aspect, but then the apostles, when the Holy Spirit descends upon them, upon them, they they revealed all truth, and then they delineate those words to us through the Scripture, and so then we have this 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 unifying theme all throughout this prayer of the words of God, uh, and Jesus points it out here in his disciples, they are uh, they have kept the words of God. And that that's a huge thing. And like, like Dad was saying, if we're at a funeral, that's what I want someone to say about me. <laughs> if it's my funeral, uh, he kept the words of God. Uh, that, that, those are some incredible uh, praises that Jesus is giving towards these, these 11 men that are sitting there listening to this prayer. And they still got a long way to go to. And that's what's crazy about it to me is, like Jesus at this point is like, well, I'm going to do it. He knows and he's seen the commitment of these men to know that they're going to do it. And then we're going to get into the next part of the, the prayer where now we're already looking at their success in establishing his word. And then now we're, the prayer is turning our direction. And so as, as Jesus speaks to the father about these 11, this, this small band of men, as A.B. Bruce describes them, The fortunes of Christianity are bound up in these men. He prays for them because they are the the precious fruit of his entire mission on earth. We talked about that earlier in John chapter 15. You know, I'm the vine, you're the branches. And these men are the, the, the life labor of Jesus' work here on earth. And they're the hope of the future. They're going to be the founders of the Church of Christ. And I think A.B. Bruce describes this way. They're the Noah's Ark of the Christian faith. (laughs) Of all the individuals that ever existed on the planet, these 11 men are vital to the success of Christianity. And Jesus knows this. And so, of course, he's going to speak to the Father about them because through their work, through their faith and their uh, documentation and and their eyewitness accounts, the church is going to be established. And on that foundation, we're told that it will last forever. No pressure, right? Yeah, and (laughs) and the fact that they're talking about it as it's already, like, done, not like, well, you know how sometimes we pray, well, give me strength to get through this cold, right? It's like, no, they, they're, he's praying like it's already a thing. And because obviously omniscience, he knew it was. But just that level of confidence in the disciples, it must have really bolstered them to be like, all right, this is what we're doing. And I'm right now going through this class about the fact of all these eyewitnesses writing these accounts. And you know how people say, well, the, you can't trust the Bible. How can we trust any other account of anything, right? This is... These are eyewitnesses, eyewitnesses' accounts, and it's been preserved for so long. Like This is it, and they did it. And so obviously there needs to be a communication between Jesus and his father about these men. And he says, first of all, they were yours, 
and then they became mine, and I glorified in them. And all of this is linked with, as Alec mentioned, the words and all the things that came from Jesus, all the information that was from the Father, Jesus brought to these disciples in words, and they listened, and most importantly, obeyed. And then, like Kevin mentions, he's already seeing the effect that they will have. It's not like they're, it's not going to happen. He already sees down in the future and all the way into you know the 21st century with us, verse 20, he says, I'm, I'm going to be glorified and my name, my doctrine, everything will be identified with these men. And so obviously, Jesus has to have uh, this communication with his father about these guys. He says, because I'm going to be gone, I'm going to leave the earth. The father's care has to occur on these men. It has to be on these men. And of course, it's not like God doesn't know that. But I love the fact that Jesus is doing this for the sake of those listening. They're in that room. They're listening to Jesus talk to his father specifically about them. It just reminds me of, you know, it's setting the scene for like the Hollywood, you know, all everything's up against us, you know, these band of guys. And then this is their, their leader who's going to just get them all pumped up and ready to go complete the impossible mission. Like we've seen these movies before. And that's, that's what I'm seeing when I, when I look at this. It's just Jesus getting them ready to go. Cause he also knows what's right around the corner, which is them scattering. It's like they need to have something to draw back on to remember that they are these people. They are going to do this because he knows that pretty soon here they're not going to be together and they need to be together. Yeah, and you can just imagine what's going through their minds uh, and especially in connection with Judas uh, because the fact that there's only 11 of them there and Judas has already left and Jesus has already told them, you know, he's going to betray us. He's going to betray me. Uh, and he mentions Judas in in the prayer here, uh, there in verse 12, uh, this idea of he, all these disciples were given to me, but the one that has perished, one that has gone away, this was all according to Scripture. Uh, this is all according to the plan of God. I, again, another reassurance towards the disciples listening, because they might be thinking in their mind going, okay, this is all well and good, Jesus, but... Judas is going to betray us, and there's going to be some problems that are happening, and Jesus says, that's all part of the plan as well. All of these things are done to fulfill what Scripture has taught. So remain in the truth, uh, and there is success on the other side. Like Kevin was saying, this idea of pumping them up, getting them ready for something that is almost, you know, mission impossible. You know, that's not going to happen. But Jesus says, it's all according to the plan. And I love the fact that Jesus uses a phrase that's only found here in John 17, the phrase, Holy Father. Of, of all the ways that we can address God in prayer, Holy Father. And Jesus wants these disciples to understand that unity really is the key to success, <laughs> that they may be one, all right? The idea that we're going to talk to 
the Father, or we're going to do this in his name. You're going to believe what you've been taught about God, but you must remain as one. And you do this through truth and love. The ideas that are found in the word of God. These words are truth. A little bit later, verse 17, maybe you have this memorized. Sanctify them in truth. Thy word is truth. And the badge of distinction between the church and the world, what is it? Well, it's that unity that we have in Christ, and it's based on love. You know, seeking the best interest of each other. And these 11 men had to do that. And they're listening, they're hearing, and then most importantly, they will obey. And it's one of those things that they'll never forget this prayer. They'll always have it in their memory. Yes, yeah, the one thing I just keep going back to is them having that because we know what's coming for them. We can read it, read ahead in our Bibles, or we already have studied and known. But that the fact that they have this memory that they obviously keep drawing upon, we know that John, and think about all the things he went through, his brother being killed in front of him, all these different horrible things with the rest of the you know the ten men besides himself there, and all these things. You just think that I in my mind now I keep having him go back to this moment with Jesus. When Jesus was telling them, you can, you're doing it. You're doing this. And that just gives them that mindset that Jesus had, that he prayed about, that it was already done. And they can just have that now. It's just kind of crazy how it all, it was all planned. And as Jesus, as the prayer continues, and, and Alec mentioned uh, the mention of the betrayer, it's interesting to me to see that Jesus doesn't use his name he uses a phrase that's actually from the prophets, the son of perdition. Oof. And yet, all part of the plan, even when Jesus is there hanging on the cross, Satan is thinking he's one at all. Nope, it's all part of the plan. And sadly, Judas had to be that one. And he says, I've, I haven't come... Uh, to these, uh, to this conclusion, uh, easily, I I want them to understand that this is going to be difficult, and God, will you will you keep them safe in the world? They're not of the world, but they are still in it, and the world hates me. Therefore, it's going to hate them, <laughs> and the evil one hates me. Therefore, he's going to hate them, and so. It's going to be tough. I'm not asking you to take them out of the world. Not yet. <laughs> They've got work to do. But while they're here, keep that, that safety net there for them until their mission is complete. And of course, who knows when that is? Well, God does. <laughs> God knows when your mission is complete. And Jesus says, my hour has come. There's going to be a moment when each of these 11 men, their mission will be over. They'll have completed their mission. And until that happens, he's asking God, he's asking the Holy Father, keep them safe. Yeah, and that, that safety, that sanctification, that being set apart by God there is done, and Jesus asks them, or asks God to do that for them, 
uh, and notice what where they're sanctified. <laughs> it's in the truth. Uh, and what is the truth? Jesus says, thy word is truth. Uh, and so how are they protected from uh, the snares of this world, the snares of the devil, all of these things that are piling on down upon them? And Jesus gives them the pathway there, be sanctified in the truth of God. There's where your, your safety net is found. And so he goes on to say, you sent me into the world, and he's speaking to the Father. You sent me, and now I'm doing the same. And so I, I need them to understand the importance of being sanctified. And it's a, it's a perseverance. It's, it's growth. It's maturity. All of these things are occurring or uh, occur in the sanctification process. Yes, there's a one-time event when we're baptized into Christ and sanctification occurs, but it's not over and done with at that point. It's an ongoing or ongoing event. And so keep on keeping on. And each of those individuals needs to have that motivation. And each of them, as we see, uh, they grow. <laughs> and if you're not growing, you're dying. I mean, when your baby's born and you take him to the doctor and they start weighing him and he start, you know, poking around. They say, well, he's not, he's not growing. He's not gaining weight. There's a problem. And so if you're not growing spiritually, it's that way spiritually. We're dying. But there needs to be that growth process. And there is a moment where there's maturity. You know, for, for some of us, it's different. Uh, it takes longer. And you wonder, am I ever going to mature? Yes, your mission will be complete. <laughs> There's a moment. And so Jesus is praying for this to occur with these 11 men. Perseverance, growth, and maturity. And like, I like the example you said there with the, the child and growing. And when you look at our spiritual lives, we can go through, we have the ultimate mission, right, of doing the work for the Father, but our objectives in that mission are going to change as the maturity happens, like George is talking about. You know, you look at youth and young and energy in the church, their objective is different for what they're trying to do for kingdom work than those who are, let's say, way up there, George, at the end, right? There's a different objective between these two, right? And they, we need to recognize that and then Think about your life now. What objective do you have for your kingdom work? Where are you in your maturity? Obviously, where you were, where you are, and where you're going, these are things we always need to constantly be evaluating and asking ourselves so we can make sure that we are doing the work. That's why I believe that uh, Jesus doesn't just leave it right there and saying he's praying for these disciples. He puts, you know, my name in the text here. Uh, in verse 20, and we've alluded to it, Jesus is talking about you. You could put your name there. Uh, he says, I don't ask on behalf of these alone, talking about the disciples, but for those who believe in me through their words. And so we have me. And so Jesus is talking about being sanctified in the words of God and, and maturing, spirit, spiritually speaking, and, and remaining unified uh, under uh, the words of God. And all these things that Jesus has been applying to his disciples, you can put your name right there. And I believe that Jesus was thinking about 
me when he was praying this prayer uh, and thinking about each one of us individually. Uh, and it's it's mind-blowing uh, to to think about it in that way, but to to really personalize what the Scripture teaches, what Jesus is actually saying, and putting your name uh, right there in Jesus' is in mind as he's talking these words to his disciples, uh, it it's it's humbling, um, and it should be humbling as we continue our spiritual walk. And the one blessing that he asks of us of the church here in in the 21st century and all the centuries that have led up to this, he's asking expressly for uh, unity, the unity of believers. And he prays that this will be shown in the world. The world will see that we love one another, and it, it will point back to the glorification of the Son and ultimately the glorification of God. And the idea of being united, <clears throat> the idea of being united in mind and thought and spirit, the unity that is prayed for here is what Jesus wants. And so in order for that to occur, we go back to what he's asked of those disciples. He says, I want to see love for one another. That's what I want to see. And it all boils down to seeking the best interest of each other, having the united mind, the union that's in this one church. All of this is the prayer for Jesus. He says, uh, and I think automatically of Philippians 2, you know, 5 through 10, have this mind in you, which was also in Christ. Uh, He didn't regard equality with God, a thing to be held on to, but he emptied himself. He voluntarily, voluntarily gave himself, not just any death, but death on a cross. And because of that, he was glorified and every knee will bow. And all of that passage there in Philippians 2 should point right back to this passage in John 17. He wants unity. Now, is this unity for unity's sake? (laughs) We just uh, remain unified, and we compromise on our uh, our belief in the truth, and we change the scripture here so that we don't hurt anybody's feelings. Is that what Jesus is talking about here? <laughs> you already said truth was a badge. Put your badge on, <laughs> right? No, I. What you bring up is a good point because I think A.B. Bruce kind of was skirting the line here towards the end of the chapter, as far as we'll we'll keep the fundamentals the same, but you know, there's the fringe. I was like, no. Earlier in the prayer, he talked about the badge of truth. And I, uh, I was trying to show you, but yeah. I took a big marker and went, <laughs> just went across that. <laughs> you marked it out. <laughs> yeah. I said, okay. Yeah. So my, my comment there in A.B. Bruce, and, and like any printed page, anything that's not the inspired word of God, there's going to be errors. And I believe he's erred on page 460. Uh, and so... Alex question, should we just compromise and do whatever feels right? No, obviously not. Restore the primitive church. That's what Jesus wants to see. He says, here's how it was set up, and here's how it's going to be forever. And so I believe on page 461, he gets it right. He says, plainly conveys the truth that without unity, the church can neither glorify Christ, commend Christianity as divine, 
nor have glory of Christ abiding on herself. And so, obviously, what has to occur is we go back to chapter 17, verse 17, and we say, is it possible to be unified? And the only answer is, sanctify them in the truth. Thy word is truth. Yeah, so our our unification is not based upon our feelings and well, I'll hurt this person's feeling if I don't do it the way that they want, and so therefore we'll compromise here and unify. No, that's not what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about being unified in the truth of God, uh, and there's our baseline. And so we can, and Jesus says so, uh, we can remain unified in the truth claims of God. There's where our unity is based in. It's not based on our feelings or the society or uh, whatever, uh, when, uh, wherever the, the wind blows us. It's, it's based off of the truth of God. And so we have to have our foundation in our unity in the Scripture. Uh, and if we start deviating from there, there's where we can get into what A.B. Boost is talking about. Well, it's not possible. It's like, well, if you deviate from the truth, uh, it isn't possible to remain unified. Our goal is to remain unified in the truth. Yeah, Proverbs fourteen twelve. There is a way which seems right to a man, but in the end, the way is death. Right? Or Proverbs twenty eight twenty six. He who trusts in his own heart is a fool, but he who walks wisely will be delivered. Our hearts, our minds, they can. Our hearts, not minds. Our hearts can fool us into thinking, "Well, oh, I feel like this is correct. I feel like we need to be more in- inclusive." There's a buzzword for everyone. No, we need to do exactly what we've been talking about here. 1717, the truth, right? We need to use our minds and know that our hearts are lying to us. And if we trust them, we will find our way into death. If we listen to God and we stay in the truth, we will be delivered. Which makes later when Pilate is interviewing (laughs) Jesus or interrogating Jesus, uh, and he asks him, well, what is truth? Pilate saw the importance of that question. Uh, we don't get in the scripture that he, if he sticked around for the answer, uh, but what is truth? Well, it is thy word, Jesus says. Uh, and so it is the scripture. Uh, there's where we can find our, our foundation. And so Jesus wraps up the prayer there in verse 25 and uses another uh, endearing phrase. He says, O righteous Father, Even though the world doesn't know you, I know you. And these 11 men and the disciples that come after them because of these disciples' words, they know you, and they know you sent me. And because of that knowledge, they now will become light in the midst of darkness. They will love in the midst of selfishness. They will be holy in the midst of depravity. And you think about those words, those phrases. You sent me, Jesus says to the Father, I chose these men and I send them so that others may hear that information, get those words into their hearts and minds, and then make the changes in their life, and then they will teach others this exact same information. And that's where the unity prayer comes in. That's where love one another comes in. That's where sanctification 
dwells. And that's our objective. And it's, I believe, in Second uh, Timothy 2, 2, you know, the, the passage that you guys uh, have on, on another uh, podcast, whatever it is, but it's like, you teach others to teach others to teach others. <laughs> and that's what Jesus is praying for here. And that's good leadership. Delegate authority and then expect results and pray to the Father for that safety to complete your mission. And it really ties it all together, these last couple of verses in John 17, where Jesus says, uh, I know you, and these disciples know you, and those that listen to these disciples know you. And it goes all the way back to verse 3 of chapter 17. What is the definition of eternal life? <laughs> Knowing the Father. And so it all kind of ties it all back together, this idea of, okay, so I have a job to do, you've given me a task to do, and there's an eternal reward for completing this task. And Jesus says, I've already done all the heavy lifting. (laughs) You just have to know the Father and his words, and there's a reward in it for you. It's it's such a beautifully uh, crafted prayer. It's almost like it's divinely inspired (laughs) prayer. But uh, almost, almost. Uh, forgiven, Father. Forgive me. <laughs> yeah, I think you have a fever still. Yeah, I still have a fever. No, but it's it's perfect. I mean, it's it's a beautiful prayer, and I'm I'm so glad that uh, you know John uh, recorded it for us so that we can we can look back into the words of Jesus uh, when he is praying about us uh, to the Father. From Jesus's prayer, what do we learn about his mission in life? His use of time, his willingness to sacrifice everything for the glory of his Father. What is your mission in life? Is it clear to you? Are you willing to sacrifice for the glory of God? Jesus sacrificed much as he trained the twelve. Are you committed to doing whatever it takes to expand the kingdom and train a few for God? What can you do to promote the unity of God's people? Thank you so much for joining us for this week's study. 